This show is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desk. Check out their latest smart adjustable standing desk at Altizen.com. A-L-T-I-Z-E-N.com. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. In this episode, I speak to Matthew Brennan from China Channel on Weibo and why it is not the Twitter of China. We discuss why Weibo has been more successful than Twitter and where it stands against the other Chinese social media platforms. Hi, Matthew. Hi, Bernard. How are you doing? Yeah, good. How are you doing, mate? I'm good. I just interviewed your fellow host, John Atman, a couple of days ago. Ooh, very nice. Yeah, for an upcoming episode, but your episode is going to come first. So, so where are you now, actually? Oh, I'm in, I'm in Chengdu today, and in my little home office. So you're not in Shanghai? No, no. We'll be in Shanghai next month for our big conference, but uh, right now I'm in Chengdu. Yes, and I'm talking to Matthew Brennan, co-founder of ChinaChannel.co. And of course, he's been a frequent guest on the show because of his knowledge of what's happening with consumer internet in China. So since our last conversation, what have you been up to? Yeah, like I said, just like I just mentioned, we have this event coming up. So it kind of takes over my life for about a month or two every year to get it organized. And then I go back to, to normal, just, you know, getting lots of people interested in, in, in what's going on there. Of course, going around and, and doing uh, sessions and, and speaking for different people as well. And uh, you know, writing articles on the blog and things like that and, and working with a team to do more research. Uh, we've got a new report coming out soon about mobile advertisements in, in China. So we did quite a lot of work on that one, and uh, I think it's a nice piece. I want to ask you about the conference. It's called China Chat 2017, which is happening next month, September 2017. Can you talk more about it? Is it everything about WeChat? Yeah, it's you know, basically we spend two days in, in Shanghai and we bring in a lot of the experts in this area who help international businesses work on WeChat. As you know, WeChat in China is just so all-encompassing. It, it reaches into a lot of different areas of business and, and we bring everyone together and it's it's really nice event. We have sort of after parties, VIP dinners, workshops. We, this year, we want to do a hackathon as well. So the, there's a lot going on. It's really uh, quite a lot. And we've got China Accelerator involved. They have their event as well. So we have some startups there doing stuff on the platform. Uh, and then obviously the brands and the agencies are all there as well. So and it's on this sort of rooftop garden sort of venues. Yeah, hopefully the weather will be nice again this year and it should be pretty awesome. Uh, Shanghai is always a very pretty good place to party, right? Yeah, I really like Shanghai. It's a great, it's a great city to be in, and you know that's where all the agencies are and where the marketing budgets are as well. So obviously that's where we have to be. So if if I'm interested to come to the China Chat 2017, so where do I go to? Do you have a site or something that we can direct people to go to? Yeah, sure. Let's put that in the show notes. Uh, there's a site there. We have an international site on Eventbrite. We have uh, a local one for um, that works in China. Yeah, tickets. So tickets have just been on sale for a couple of days now and. Uh, we've already got some nice brands who are going to be down there. So that, that should be good. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, last year we sold out in Beijing and Shanghai. So hopefully we can do that again. Definitely. And anyone from Tencent coming? Um, yeah, there'll be a couple of people. Obviously, I want to get some speakers, but because uh, the event's in English, so uh, it's difficult to get uh, the speakers to come up from Shenzhen. Most of the English language ones are sort of spread out across the world. Recently, I heard that Apple has banned some of the VPN applications on their app store. So how does it impact people like you living over in China? 
Yeah, that's a big talking point, actually, Bernard. There's a lot, <laughs> there's a lot, a lot of people, uh, a lot of uh, heated debate in in WeChat groups about that. Personally, I'm I'm an Android user, so it doesn't affect me what's gone on. But it's certainly a lot of people are a little bit spooked about what's what's happened. And it's clear when you look at overall that there is definitely a, a tightening now of of the policies in China and. Uh, they're taking a stronger, they're just broadly speaking, just making it more and more difficult for, for normal people, uh, you know, not, not, not businesses or, or for or people with technical skills, but just normal average Joes to, to, to skip over the firewall in China. That's going to get increasingly difficult. Uh, it's a slow, slow trend. It's not something that's going to suddenly overnight become impossible, but it's clearly getting more difficult. Yes, and I think it's going to be one of the major talking points for the next couple of months. But today, we want to talk about a pretty interesting subject in regards the so-called Weibo, which everybody has heard of. It's called Signal Weibo. It started off as a Chinese microblogging site in 2009, otherwise also known as the Twitter of China, framed by Western media, original owned by Signal Corp, which is something like Yahoo of China, and now it's being spun off into a public listed company on 17th of April 2014 on NASDAQ US. Currently at market capitalization at 16.98 billion in US dollars. According to China Daily, Weibo has now 340 million monthly active users, which actually by comparison to Twitter, which only have only 328 monthly active users to date. So let's talk about the backstory, how the Weibo started off as a project within Singna and subsequently become a public listed company on its own. Well, Weibo is a really, really interesting company in, in the sort of Chinese internet history. It holds a unique place, I think. So it started off in 2009 and it started off really, really well. It became super popular. There was about a two year period where it was it's no exaggeration to say it became the center of, of the sort of Chinese internet almost. It was the hottest platform by far. And you know, Twitter Twitter was blocked by the by the Chinese government. Weibo and Weibo managed to sort of take the crown and, and there was you know there was a 10 cent product as well but it, the version we call Weibo now which is Sina Weibo was you know sort of led this market quite clearly but then when we got into 2012 what happened was WeChat started to take over so uh, there was this big shift of attention and people's time away from Weibo which used to be where everyone was sharing and going to for social interactions over into in, into WeChat and WeChat just grew and grew and grew and became became this monster that we all know it today uh, as to what it is where it's just uh, by far the most dominant platform in in China online and kind of does everything and Weibo really really suffered from that and uh, they kind of lost their mojo. Their growth slowed down a lot. And they also had a bit of a, it was, it was partly their own reason. They had a sort of bad reputation for having lots and lots of zombie fans, zombie accounts on the Weibo platform. It still has that reputation even today. There's a lot of fake engagement on the platform. Uh, but that's that's not singling them out. That is a problem for the, you know, the, the broad internet in, in general in China and, and, and outside China. But it certainly at one stage was quite bad. These and a couple of other reasons, it, it sort of fell out of favor. But the, especially the leader of uh, the, the sort of founder of, of Sun and Weibo, Charles Chow, has always you know been a very strong believer in his in, in the power of, of, of Weibo and its potential. And uh, they, they eventually spun it out from Sun. And there's, there's this great story. There's a good podcast that was released by the Bloomberg Decrypted. So if you guys listen to that, this it goes into there's a nice interview with Charles there, and uh, he talks about the journey that they had going through this where 
Weibo was really popular. Then it fell out of favor, and then it came back. And they actually IPO'd at the low point. They IPO'd when no one believed in them at all, and things were looking worse, which was March uh, 2014. Since then, Weibo's had a second wind. It's had a revival, and now this revival is. is basically been driven by a couple of things. It's been driven by live stream. They've kind of jumped on the live stream bandwagon and, and integrated that into the platform. And live stream was, was really, really super hot last year in China. Less so much this year. But anyway, last year was it was a very, very huge trend. Short video. I think short video is something that's that's driving a lot of engagement across many, many platforms in China and outside. If you look at Facebook, for example, you know, video is really, really important there as well. And, and the other trend, the big trend that they were able to ride was the key opinion leaders, the influencer economy. So Weibo today in China is the is, is the platform that is, is most associated with this sort of KOL economy. These online opinion leaders, they will often look at to Weibo as being sort of the, the platform for them to build online influence. And then other platforms being secondary to that. It kind of depends what industry they're in, but usually that's the case. Usually Weibo is, is, is the first platform. Is the, if you talk about an online influencer in China, you'll mention the number of followers they have on Weibo immediately after their name is, is typically how it works. So they've been able to, and this whole economy has really, really expanded a lot and become very, very important in China. It's it's further ahead than the rest of the world, quite considerably, in terms of how the influencer economy is working here. And, and, and Weibo is really at the heart of this. It's quite special because you don't really get this in China. You don't get that internet platforms, they either become hot and then they fade away. That's, that's what always happens. And it's very, very rare to see someone that became super hot faded away and then came back and is now and is now super well, not super hot but it's it's hot again it's it's they they've got a strong growth in the last year very strong growth i thought it would be e easy to introduce weibo in a different way how does the weibo work as a microblogging service for chinese users for example you and me how do we sign up or how do we get on board and what do we do on weibo yeah so when we compare weibo to twitter that's usually in the, the parallel that's drawn, if we're going to try and understand it in terms of someone who actually has never used the platform before. But it's actually a very bad comparison because, yes, Weibo, I suppose at its core, is similar to Twitter, but it has so many other features. So you can go on there and you can tweet, essentially. There's actually no character limit anymore. There used to be, but they removed that a while back. So in, in that respect, it's also different from Twitter. If you use hashtags, for example, they you can do that, but they have that sort of double hashtag system that's, that's a little little bit different as well. But people are going on there. I think when Weibo started off, it really was about people going on there and having their own voice, sort of citizen journalists, as it were, you know, like you can tweet about, you know, your, your life and, and, and people still do that. And that's, that's fine. But I think now it's just really moved on to this sort of like internet celebrity sort of place where people go to find out the latest gossip and to follow celebrities and maybe some brands as well. And it's, it's more about consuming media content and uh, influencer content rather than what it originally started out was, you know, everyone had their own voice and it was, uh, it was more sort of a, a bit more like what, what Twitter is right now, I guess. And so there's been this 
progression of the platform over over quite a long time where it's, most people can go there to consume content now rather than to produce their own content. And that's not to say that people don't produce their own content. Obviously, there is lots of people doing that. But broadly speaking, it's, it's a place where you go to find out about rumors, about celebrity, about the latest news. And, and it's more about consumption of that content and more sort of media platform, as it were. So you probably follow some of these news, you follow celebrities, key opinion leaders, KOLs, you could be part of a fan of some celebrity, for example, I think in Chinese they call it 粉丝. What are the major product features of Weibo then? Oh, there's so many. There's so many. Again, that's why the comparison with Twitter is quite a poor one, because when you open up Weibo, it's a really, really lively application. You have live streaming in there. You have microblogging. You can chat directly to people. There's lucky money in there. You can book a taxi, a DD if you want on there. You can scan a QR code. It's got e-commerce integration with Taobao. There's loads in there. Really, the features are, we talk about WeChat having so many features all the time, but Weibo also is pretty impressive in terms of what's in there. Maybe it's a bit too much, to be honest. It's a bit overwhelming if you're not familiar with it. And recently, they introduced stories as well, right? So this is one of the big things that, um, that they've been pushing recently and, and it's quite a big deal actually for the platform so uh, obviously you know we know that facebook's introduced stories ac- across their product range quite recently and that's had a big impact on snap whereas in china stories you know this is the big one here the big testing ground for stories is it going to work how's it going to play out in the chinese internet well, well weibo's pushing it now and it's quite early days but they are pushing it quite heavily they're actually you know paying people with micropayments to, to, to use the, the their feature uh, the stories feature I believe as well which is quite common that's 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 a common tactic in, in China to you know you pay pay people to use use uh, features or, or offer it for free or whatever subsidize it and it, it's broadly speaking is a is a simplified version it's not as the features right now are broadly similar to Instagram but a little bit simplified shall we say but you know having having the e-commerce in there and and, and the t- linking up to Taobao stores is this whole thing of live stream and you know you go follow a KOL account in there and then you can buy from them directly through the stream you know this whole area is is, is much more developed than, than Twitter so that comes to my next question right what are the revenue streams for Weibo then is it e-commerce is it advertising broadly speaking it's advertising we can say that Weibo is essentially a feed right it's it's, it's a it's a scrolling feed and um it's a this feed is it's very, very lively. It's much more lively than WeChat, actually. WeChat seems very, very conservative when you compare the two. It's, there's a lot of short video in there, short videos, you know, playing uh, as soon as you, it's automatically playing. You've got algorithms in there optimized for engagement. And then we've got this massive KOL economy, influencer economy in there. And, and then they're monetizing this because Weibo, I think really they control the KOLs. The Chinese consumers look to follow the celebrities, follow their their, their Wang Hongs, their, their influencers. And Weibo is sort of the gatekeeper for this economy in, in, in some ways. And that's, that's really the key. That's their point of leverage that they have. It's not so much about user-generated content. It's about extracting value from this internet celebrity economy. So whether brands, are, so a lot of these celebrities are doing cross promotion with brands and brands want to reach out to people and they want to advertise uh, Weibo is actually much more friendly friendly to marketers and friendly to advertisers than, than WeChat is for example so you can push out adverts on there you can track them uh, a lot more easily KOLs will often promote brands on, on Weibo and, and Weibo's 
making money from that. Um, so KOLs and brands have to, it's a pay-to-pay platform, essentially. And they, actually, KOLs have to seek permission from, from Weibo. They have a team that goes around and, and checks what they're doing. And if, if they're breaking rules, they'll delete posts. For example, they have to get permission if they're promoting one more than one brand in a single post. Um, it's actually a very, very regulated system and, and it's manually regulated by by the teams that they have in there. A lot of the KYs, you know, moan about this as well because they essentially they have to kick up to Weibo and the brands obviously are, are paying for that exposure as well. So how do Weibo deal with regulation and content that is sensitive to the Chinese government? For example, we need a pool. <laughs> Yes, we need the phone. I don't think there's any difference between Weibo and, and uh, the other platforms, broadly speaking, because they, they all have to play by the same rules from Beijing. They all are subject to uh, having content blocked, having uh, stuff removed from their platform, and which is outside of their control. These com- internet companies in China, then they're, they're not really enjoying this process either. They're subject to government regulations that perhaps they feel they harms their platform in, a little bit in terms of the uh, the user experience, but uh, there's nothing they can do. You know, they have teams of people who are there to proactively uh, in, delete posts and they have uh, others, you know, words that are blocked or censored. It gets talked about a lot, I mean, because it's most obvious on Weibo. Weibo is the platform, number one platform in China where it's, it's completely obvious when, when censorship does happen, more so than closed platforms like WeChat. That's where it takes a lot of heat in that way because it will seem like they're censoring uh, stuff when it's, it's more transparent. So how does it differ from Twitter? I guess my other, my question should be framed in this way then. What can Twitter learn from Weibo? Oh, a lot, I guess. I mean, uh, one of the, the... The thing is... It, the, the two, the Chinese internet and what Twitter deals with internationally in sort of in the American market or sort of global market, the user habits are, are, are very, very different. So it's not as easy as saying, well, you know, Twitter should do more live stream and more e-commerce and more and integrate, you know, all these features like lucky money and, and you can book a taxi. <laughs> it's not as simple as them just copying and pasting those those things over. The two environments are completely different and the expectations of the users are completely different uh, and the habit and what they like, what they expect are, are very different. So actually, I'm sure the Twitter team know all about Weibo and, and, and study it quite carefully. If there are things that they feel they can they can learn from Weibo, they will, they will perhaps consider those. But the two platforms are very different. It's almost misleading to compare them in many ways. I already mentioned that it doesn't have the, the character limit anymore. It's really, as the internet's evolved in China, it's become more about video, you know, as, as the 4G, as it's gone into 4G and now in the future it'll be 5G, you know, the, the bandwidth's there where it's, it's very much about live stream and short video now, it's less about text. Twitter actually feels very, very old compared to Weibo in that it's more about text and it's more about sharing articles and stuff, which does happen on Weibo. But it's very much more, you know, lively now. It's it's much more it's much more video driven. A little bit more like Facebook, I guess. I wouldn't say that there's easy lessons to be learned. Actually, in fact, I think it's a little bit misleading to to say that Twitter can learn from Weibo. I think the the two environments are are so different that it it makes it very difficult for for them to to move in this direction. I mean. It's really a mismatch. Weibo's a mismatch. So, so we've got stories in there now, you know, from from Snap. We've we've got lots of features that are from Facebook and some learnings from from WeChat. So it's a very special platform. 
So how is Weibo compared to the other major platforms within China, for example, WeChat, QQ, etc.? Well, the, what everyone says is that Weibo is open and WeChat and QQ are, are sort of closed. And that's true. That's, that's, that's a good way to think about it. On Weibo, you can follow celebrities on there and uh, everything's open, out in the open. So that is a core difference between between those, those two social networks in, in how it works. I, I think it's easier to compare it to Totiao, actually. Um, Totiao is, is what's really driving Totiao is, is, again, it's a news feed. And so that's very similar to, you know, Wei, Weibo is built around a news feed. Totiao is built around a news feed. You know, they've both got algorithms in the background that are optimizing engagement. Their business models in terms of working off advertising are similar. So I think actually it's really, really nice to, to compare those two. Uh, Totiao is more sort of media-driven, news-driven, whereas Weibo, as we mentioned, is more sort of influencer KOL-driven. There's that difference. But I think broadly speaking, even when we look outside China, you know, the Internet's moving that direction. When we want to make money from advertisements on the mobile, then, you know, the way to do that, is, as companies have worked out, is through through the news feed, through, through having a, a scrolling feed. That's how the putting advertisements in there, that works. Uh, and you can monetize that well. So they've both worked that out. And that's essentially what they're doing in terms of, of generating revenue. If we compare it, so the, the one we obviously, everyone will compare to is WeChat. But the WeChat news feed is, feels very, very different. It's in terms of the user experience, there's, there's not really an algorithm in there. There's not a lot of advertisement in there. And it's a very sort of pure and simple experience, actually, compared to Weibo. And that boils down to sort of the product values of the WeChat team, and especially Alan Jung in terms of they don't they, they want it to be that way, or traditionally they've wanted it to be that way. And that's opened up these opportunities for Weibo to do some more stuff like, like what Facebook's doing, stuff that's driven by advertising, driven by working with brands and, and, and marketers to generate revenue in that way and provide an experience where they're pushing information to you, whereas on WeChat, it's still very much about your friend sharing information, sharing interesting articles. There's no algorithm or there's, there's maybe the algorithm is just hiding information from people that you don't usually contact. But that in terms of that's not really like it's not much of an algorithm. And, and it's, it's, it's not very friendly for brands and marketers, essentially. So there's the very, very big difference there in, in terms of the news feed. And, uh, and that's the core difference, I think, when you boil it down to what's the difference between Weibo and WeChat. I thought I should just add a couple of points here. The total revenue of Weibo in the first quarter of 2017 has actually reached 1.37 billion renminbi, which is about 200 million US. And it's actually a 76% rise over the last first quarter of 2016. And their profits actually increased about 278% during the same period. And actually, they beat all Wall Street expectations. So one, one interesting part of it is also the advertising revenues for Weibo has actually reached about 1.17 billion renminbi, which is about 80% year on year. I mean, compared to Twitter, this is like, you know, this is profitable. Whereas Twitter is struggling to be profitable, struggling with revenues. Do you ever see the situation that Weibo might eventually go and just acquire Twitter? <laughs> Yeah, someone asked me last year would Tencent buy Twitter. I don't see it. I think Twitter's it's not doing as badly as everyone says. I mean, like let, let, let's let's be honest. You know, Twitter is very important still, and let's let's be honest. It kind of decided the presidential election. You know, it, it, it has that influence. It's still a, a platform that journalists go to when they want to find news. It's, it's it's an incredible amount of you know influential people who use that platform as their primary way to communicate 
on the internet. It's just it's sort of stagnated, right, in terms of user numbers and, you know, journalists, media, financial analysts, they don't like that, right? They always want to see a, a, a growth story, but Twitter doesn't have that now. But actually, when we look at these Chinese internet companies, I think this similar dynamic is going to play out, you know, it is playing out, you know, we're going to see WeChat's reaching a ceiling now. They've got an earnings call in a couple of days. I'm pretty sure the new numbers of, of growth are going to be, uh, they're still growing, but it's going to be much lower than than expect, than um, number four. Weibo is going to be the same. The, the Chinese internet is is huge, but it's it's still, uh, you know, compared to the global internet where we're still getting millions and we're getting still strong, strong growth in, in areas like Southeast Asia and less developed markets, India, for example, uh, you know, where there's huge, huge populations and people are coming online for the first time. And so the social platforms like like Facebook still have very, very strong growth stories. When you look at their numbers, they're, they're, they're going to continue to grow. For for a couple of years, very very strongly, whereas you know it's maturing now in China. So actually, we're going to see the numbers, the growth in China. It already is. It's slowing down. So because of this close market of a billion people, so there is actually a ceiling that they all these internet companies are going to reach. So I guess the story is going to continue, and I think the third quarter earnings for Tencent is probably coming pretty soon, and you're going to be looking at that. So, but we're going to stop here. But before that, I usually ask two questions. The first question is: Do you have any recommendations, such as podcasts, books, or movies, for my audience? Um, yeah, sure. I mean, we, we we touched upon one podcast at the at the beginning, which is the Bloomberg one. That's pretty good. Obviously, me and John have our one, China Tech Talk. I, in terms of books, I was reading is it's not a new book, but the Everything Store, the the one about Amazon recently, and I thought that you know this is just a fantastic must read for everyone who's interested, especially with what's happening now with Amazon. It's like become so hot and is is sort of taking over the throne of Apple as as the company that everyone's talking about now. That's really a deep dive into the company culture, and I really enjoyed it the author is actually brad stone who was actually on my show to talk about his other book the upstarts a couple many episodes ago and one interesting thing was that on the day when this book was published jeff bezos wife and went into the everything store on the amazons and give it one star rating that was really <laughs> one of the big highlights of and that made everybody bought a book basically <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's not the thing about that book is not particularly nice. It's not a nice picture of Amazon it, when you come out of it and you realize, well, these guys are actually pretty ruthless. They're a little bit scary in some ways. What, what, what the you know the potential of Amazon? Well, but compared to the Chinese internet, I think we are miles apart from talking about excessive, intense competition, right? <laughs> Well, that's it. I mean, I wasn't say to people that I think Amazon is reminds me of Chinese internet companies in terms of their ruthlessness, in terms of how they, you know, I came out of that book feeling like, oh, this this company is, uh, you know, very Chinese <laughs> as, as a compliment. My final question then, how do my audience find you? They can find me on Twitter. They can't find me on Weibo. Fortunately, I don't, I don't use Weibo as, uh, to, to post. Uh, they can find me on LinkedIn and just search for, for Matthew Brennan and I'll pop up. And on WeChat as well, we have the official account. On the website, of course, chinachannel.co. And I'm going to make one exception here. I do have a Weibo account. It's the same account ID as my Twitter account, BeelongCW. So that's the shocker. And I actually write in Chinese there. You can also find me at bernardleong.com and subscribe to us on Analyze Asia. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Acast, and of course, TuneIn, of course, Google Play in the US market. Recommend us on Overcast. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. And of course, tweet to me or even send me email about your comments on the show. So once again, Matthew, thank you for coming on the show.
pleasure always, Bernard. A pleasure.